Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. I hope that you have all had a great festive period and you're having a happy new year so far. QPR, not so much, let's say. Uh, the team, well, they started 2024 with a horrible game of football against Cardiff City. Uh, and this week, for what I hope is an all-encompassing review of QPR's 2023, I am lucky enough to be joined by Micah Chudley, Ben Summer and Steve Bernard, who you might know better as QPR Analytics on Twitter. Um, well, lads, welcome. We won't dwell on it for too long, but uh, as football fans and as people, what exactly did we do to deserve that game against Cardiff? It was just, just dire, really, wasn't it? No, I mean, neither team it, it, played well, I'd say. <laughs> no, no, it, uh, that was, I mean, it's, when everyone, interesting, two Welsh clubs, because when people talked about the home game against Swansea as a missed opportunity against a rubbish team, I thought Swansea had something about them. Neither us or Cardiff had anything about us whatsoever. Um, and, and yet we probably had the better opportunities and, and wasted them to some extent. They may end up being sort of in the top end of the championship come the end of the season. But it's particularly this 90 minutes in isolation, I'd say that they were pretty lucky that we're so awful at defending set pieces. Yeah, it's um it's tragic, wasn't it? We've we um we've had this problem with set piece defending for so long now. Um it just becomes habit, doesn't it? Uh going to QPR, especially going to Loftus Road and seeing a set piece, poor set piece goal conceded. Um yeah, it was a really, really poor game. I mean, if I was to slightly put a more optimistic kind of um I'll, I'll break the habit of a lifetime and be a bit more optimistic here and say <clears throat> I think there's a danger of reading too much into some of these games around the festive period um, we know we already knew at the beginning of the season that we were we had a light squad and um, we were going to be put under pressure at this kind of time of year you know and there's a lot of games back to back um, there's a lack of player availability we've got a lot of older players in the squad who are clearly unavailable um, or going to clearly be unavailable for a significant portion of games. It's not a massive surprise to see, I mean, it's, it's not to forgive it or excuse it, but it isn't a massive surprise to see kind of lethargy and, and a bit of a kind of, um, especially after a tough game against Ipswich. Um, that's me putting a bit of an optimistic spin on it. Again, I'm not trying to excuse the level of performance. It wasn't, it's the first half was absolutely diabolical. Um, but uh, but I do think at this time of season, at this time of the year, it's a it's a bad time to kind of draw too many conclusions about the team. Yeah, and I think that's a, a fair point to make because even in the build up to this period, he was clearly trying a few different things, whether that was sort of injury uh, demanding or whether he actually wanted to start Charlie Kalman in the odd game or not. But he, I think. I don't mind Charlie Cameron. I don't dislike him. I don't really, I haven't really seen enough of him as a footballer in apart from sort of five minute cameos at the end of the games. I'm pretty confident that he's probably not going to be the best footballer of all time. And whether he's even going to be championship standard, I'm not too sure. But I would also say that he probably isn't in our best start in 11. And yet he, there he is a couple of weeks ago getting a start. Is it rotating the squad? Was it not rotating the squad? Who knows? But Micah, it's something that you might have picked up on in that game. Obviously, the lack of Ilias chair. People, we've talked a few times on this podcast about um, is chair greedy? Is he too slow? And sometimes he is a bit too slow in his play. But a, a QPR without Ilias chair, we saw a version of that against Cardiff. And uh, it's not the prettiest thing ever, is it? Yeah, it's funny. Um, before we come on, um, Steve was talking about when he first came on the pod and how different things were. If you go a year before that, I don't know if you remember it, but obviously we've got AFCON starting next week. Does anyone remember that period of time where we were like, oh, we're going to fall apart without chair at AFCON, the promotion push just going to fall apart? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then and then I think we had a really good January, didn't we? We had a really good January. Work really stepped up. Um, and then obviously we all know the rest of the story. We're kind of still living out the uh, the end of that story. We hope. Um, 
but obviously now we're in a situation where we've, we've got the same thing where it's like oh what are we gonna look like without chair it was pretty bad to say the least it wasn't great um we kind of really lacked but where he's kind of been playing sort of off the left coming inside we had Larkesh there instead who's obviously a left footer who wants to go on the outside um I mean more than just a left foot that wants to go on the outside he's a left back who seems to play everywhere for QPR except at left back for some reason it's, I it just feel sorry for him again like he's obviously at the start of his career um but it, it just because he's left-footed and, a, and he's got that bit of pace well he might not even be the quickest player but he's quick on our team so and he's got uh, that kind of like energy about him He's the victim of his own success as well in terms of that little yeah. passage of play against yeah. Stoke and and then yeah. actually a similar one against Preston, which well. I think is the one that results in Dixon Bonner having having quite a decent shot, if I've remembered that the right, right way around. And there's obviously a lot more to it than that, but it sort of looks like Fuentes has gone, oh, you can you can do that, can you? Okay. Yeah. I, I noted it down and then a few weeks later started him on the wing. I get the impression it's that as well, to be honest with you, Ben. I think um, he's seen that little cameos of things he does further up the pitch. Coupled with the fact as well that obviously, like Powell, is in my opinion still one of the better left backs in the league, even with our league position. Um, on top of obviously wanting to give Larkesh minutes as well, I think he's just put him left wing, and it's just, yeah, I'm not he had sure. He that I'm... one moment to cross the ball, and he snatched at it, and I think in that moment, because it considering he was hooked at half time for Coley, he it was pretty. I think Marty had decided at that point that he had to come off because not he. It wasn't, you know, it, and it it won't affect, it, it doesn't, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say, but it's not going to sort of negatively affect him, that performance. He was playing out of position, right. he was asked to do a favour in a sense, he tried it, and one positive thing that I will say about Marty is that he was willing enough to accept that he had made the wrong decision at the start of the game, and that he was going to change something. That is, that, that actual... um intelligence football intelligence to do something different and actually want to do something different as well is a quality i don't think we've seen in many qpr managers in times gone by no i i agree with that and i think i you know we've had games where the proactive substitutions have really helped us and i'd rather a manager that tries them than one that doesn't i'd also say i'm not faulting um like ash for how he played you know he, he applied himself he was trying to open up those little spaces trying to get crosses in just was so clearly not something that he's he's sort of suited to to doing for even 45 minutes really but compare that to i don't know why it comes to mind but there was a, the Barnsley home game a couple of years ago where we started effectively Dizelle and George Thomas at wing back and mm. they were absolutely rotten and I think both got hooked at 35 minutes and maybe it's easier to look rotten when you're in a defensive position than, than playing on the wing but it, it wasn't that sort of performance he was just in a place that he he wasn't really meant to be um, and I know we'll, we'll get on to it but Coley was just a, a more natural fit for that game I think um, but then also do you start someone as inexperienced as Coley when Lokesh has had a season in League One and maybe knows a bit more about it. Coley didn't even finish the game, did he? I think. About no. Five, was he holding something up. when he went down the tunnel? Do we know yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I mean, kind of noticed it just before he went off. He'd start. I think it was his hamstring. Don't want to sort of say that for certain, but it was quite, it was quite sad in the moment. Steve, I'll let you have the final word on the Cardiff game and whether you want to talk about Coley or not. But it was a nice uh, moment for him to get his first assist. I think it was. And Paul Smith, who has probably been one of the few bright sparks, I'd say, of this team so far, um, at the back post to finish off quite easily. Yeah, it, it was lovely. And um, great for Coley. Great to get his first assist. Made a big impact coming off the bench. Um, it'll only set him in good stead for the rest of the season, we'd hope. Um, it, it's funny, isn't it? It's been, a, it's been a sort of season of sort of moments like that when, when we've done well it's it's these kind of um wow moments whether it's Chris Willock scoring against Hull or um or the Ilias chair ball in against Preston uh it was kind of quite reminiscent of that very similar type of goal with Smith <clears throat> scoring in that one as well um it's been those kind of moments that that's part of the problem with this season isn't it it's it's over the length of the season so far um there's not a lot of um, quality. When you go through the data, there's not a lot of um, kind of consistent quality output, but there are these moments that we have. And um, yeah, it's it really pleasing. Again, you just kind of 
hoping, a bit like when I was, I think I was last on the pod talking about after the Cardiff game, Sinclair Armstrong, when he scored that goal, hoping that these players can then um, uh, kick on from there. Hasn't really happened with Sinclair, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully it will with um, Coley. Yeah. Um, so the reason why we've got all four of us here today is because I had the brilliant idea, well, I think it was brilliant, this, of having a look back on 2023, because it's going to be, whatever happens come the end of this season, it 2023 for QPR was an abysmal year. And not only was it abysmal, but it was, I think, probably one of the most important in the club's most recent history. And going forward, I think a lot of people will look back on this year just gone and point to many things that happened throughout it for whatever happens in the future, be that relegation, be that survival, and then whatever happens beyond the immediate next season. Marty Sifuentes being appointed might turn out to be a complete masterstroke, which was maybe an accident. Gareth Ainsworth's appointment might turn out to be one of the most damaging things to ever happen to QPR. And which I know is that very that, on purpose. <laughs> which obviously was on purpose and they hate the club board, uh, which is something that I know pains Micah to see is one of his favourites being dragged through the mud. Nevertheless, you get used to it. You get used to it with this football club. <laughs> Just wait till they come for Ali Falling, mate. You, no, you're not used to anything. Yet. Alex, take that back now. <laughs> Something's a secret. I wouldn't want to Micah's eyes, the full spectrum of human emotion. I saw his heart break in two and that space be filled by anger immediately. <laughs> yeah, accurate. Very accurate. Um, <laughs> so, to a little bit more context. On New Year's Eve, I was asked what my one of my low points of 2023 was. And without a doubt, one of those low points was QPR. Just, not just anything individual, just QPR as a whole. The club. Just the <laughs> club in general. And... <laughs> There's a, I've got a few stats here to prove it. Uh, it took QPR 12 attempts to get the first win of 2023. Only a further seven wins would come after that first win of the year, which was against Surprise, Watford. that many? I was about um, to say, I'm happy with seven. I'll take I was seven. counting on my fingers there. Like, what? Yeah. Only three of those eight wins would actually come at home at Loftus Road, with Ainsworth obviously winning at home once. QPR won 36 points out of a possible 138. Nice. QPR lost 26 times in 2023 and drew 12 times. And nice. we conceded 76 goals and only scored 37 ourselves. So Jesus. all that in mind, uh, what was your lowest moment from the year of 2023 when it comes to Queen's Park Rangers? Um, can I start? Absolutely. Uh, Blackpool beating a 6-1. Yeah. Yeah. Up on the list. And the reason it's high up on the list is because it came after a pretty good win. And um I think what it revealed was <laughs> that was that that game against Watford was a total fluke. <laughs> and I think it was after that. <laughs> and I think it was after that where I kind of thought, yeah, this isn't going to really work out in the long run. Now I know you can point to a lot of um uh, issues in the squad at that point of people who clearly hadn't bought into Ainsworth and all this kind of stuff, but it was just absolutely atrocious. And given the calibre of the team who were rolling us over, um, again, only reinforced kind of how bad things were actually looking for the club. And something else that sticks in my mind around that time, I think it was a, either a game or two after that against Birmingham, where we played Birmingham and we conceded a goal pretty early. And I don't mean to be funny, I don't think I've ever seen the ball in the air as much as in that game against Birmingham, because also they came and played an inc incredibly defensive game, yeah. uh, very ugly team to watch at that point. And it was just one of the <laughs> worst football matches I've ever watched in my life. And um, and I think those kind of those kind of games around that time, again, losing to Wigan, and, um, uh, and and losing to Rotherham around around that period, it kind of made me think. Yeah, I'm really not sure this guy. I think we've made a mistake in appointing this guy. I always felt that he would be a good person in the short run to uh, keep us up, even though he only did that, you know, by a smidgen really. Um, but I really felt if we were going to go into this season with him as manager, 
that's going to be a problem for this football club going forward. I just, I just couldn't buy into it after those performances, even if you add the mitigating factors of, well, we had players who clearly didn't want to be here and they were going to go, and he could bring in his own players uh, in the summer, all this kind of stuff. Uh, for me, that was around the time I thought, yeah, we're in, we're in the ship for the long run. Yeah. I imagine when we go through all of these individual points, people might be listening, and it's certainly you know, doing my research for this, one of the things that kind of stood out is that I just start remembering stuff, like the fact that that Blackpool game came straight after the Watford game. Yeah, two... I'd forgotten that. I had to double yeah. check while you were talking. I didn't realise at all. Two separate things in my mind, but they are so linked, it's it's ridiculous. But yeah, absolutely. It's just the, I think the other thing about that Blackpool game is that every single one of the goals was more probably more calamitous than the last and like sort of when you think it can't get any worse it somehow did and i sat and watched the full 90 minutes of that on my sofa at home and that just shows how little i have going on in midweek if it's not for qpr or qpr podcasting uh michael ben uh, your uh, low points I've of 2023 queued up just that just a note for the blackpool game which was definitely a low point for me and I'd, I'd had a rubbish day for completely separate reasons and thought I'm just going to sit down and watch the football and I don't actually care if we lose I just want to watch football I want to have that I want to have one or two moments where I think we might score a goal but we can lose 2-0 I'll be I just want to watch something and it still managed to ruin my day further which was impressive um, and also just an abstract low point which isn't my official one that those stats that you cited Alex of, of we're the worst at this and the worst at yeah. whatever but a few instances this year where and I think I've said this on the podcast where I've I've met someone who doesn't really follow football and they go, who do you support? And I said, QPR. And uh, I said, we're not very good at the minute. And they go, ah, oh, you know, everyone says that, right? Like, no, 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 no. We are not very good at the minute. And here's 10 <laughs> statistics to tell you why. Um, but my actual low point was uh, the Blackburn game at home towards the end of the uh, Ainsworth era, I think it was. Um, as I often say when I come on the pod, uh, I live in Cardiff. I don't make it to as many games as I would like to, but I had a string of every time I tried to get to a home game, it would be a loss. Uh, it would usually be against Blackburn. It would sometimes be against Birmingham City and sometimes against Millwall. Maybe every commentary? time. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's likely because they beat us twice, I think. What I remember, well, first of all, what I should say is that I didn't manage to get home for a single win under Mick Beale. So... And, and and then none of the ones in 2023 until the Stoke game quite recently. So it was a really dire run. I didn't make it to as many games as I should have, but I made it to quite a lot. Um, but every one of those games, I feel like between the third and 15th minute, a player would make a run, uh, opposing player towards the loft end, usually on the right, sometimes on the left. They cut the ball back. Our defenders would be nowhere near it. And the other team would score from the cutback. I'm almost certain that was at least one or two of the early chances Blackburn had, if not the goals, I think possibly some of the goals. And it's the only game where I've genuinely, genuinely begged my dad, can we leave early? I've never even considered leaving early and I've seen us three or four down at home before. Not even considered it. I think at three, I went, can we leave? And he went, we never leave. I went, no, I know, I know, I know. And then it was four and it was just pure misery after a few games where i genuinely believed we were starting to do something and the the was it the swansea won all the birmingham city won all and even the leeds one nil loss i sort of deluded myself and went oh we were terrible and they were all over us but they're a great team and we had one or two chances and maybe met and it was just the total yeah, so that unraveling. is some pretty like spectacular mental gymnastics to convince well, you know, yourself the, the leeds the, game was okay the birmingham city <laughs> game was the one that i thought was genuinely okay yeah Despite Begovic having a very good game, yeah, um, I, both, both... I, I yeah, did as well. I, not, maybe not good, but I thought this, this it, you do that, you might start building towards something. But um... Listen, my, my first in person game of the season was the Cardiff City away game, and I came away from that going, you know, we were, we were I thought we were the better team in that. It, again, Cardiff really grew into that game, you know, as it went on and, and whatever. But I came away from that going, we can do that again. We can definitely do that again. And every game I was trying to make myself believe that. And it, it just never quite came true. And, and Blackburn was the moment I realised it was absolutely never going to come true. Mm. Micah, what, yeah, what really I, stuck I, I out try, for you? I'll try and keep it um, short, but both of these are interpersonal stories. Um, so I'll start with the first one. My brother... Josiah, he'll be listening to this. He's a Liverpool fan, but out of either, you know, allegiance where we grew up or just pure guilt for being a glory hunter, he he follows QPR as well. Um, 
he said to me, I think it wasn't even after the Watford or Blackpool game. I think it may have been the third game in charge. I can't remember who we played. I think it was Rotherham. I think we lost to Rotherham 3-1. Aaron Drew made his debut or something. Can't remember. Um, but he said to me, look, even if he keeps you up, you need to get rid of him. And I just wasn't hearing it. I said from the start, everybody knows this. I said from the start, I was not going to be objective about Ainsworth at all. He was like my second or third favourite player from that team, right? Didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear it. Yada, yada, yada. Coventry away, I think, was the moment. I watched us. I think the third goal went in. Coventry at home, sorry. And... I could just see my brother's face and I was like, yeah, you were right. It's like, he's just spot on. So there was that, that one really hurt. Second one, we're going to get even more personal. So I was in a relationship that ended on the end of January, 2021, right? This girl that I was with, lovely girl, we're on good terms, knows <laughs> nothing about football. Couldn't tell you anything about football. She she knows Neymar because she thought Neymar was good looking. Um, she thought Messi played for Arsenal. Um uh thought Cristiano Ronaldo was Brazilian Ronaldo. That's all she knows about football. You see where the story's going, right? So end of January, uh, we broke up. That October, I think we'd seen each other again, hadn't spoken. She's like, Oh, I've been meaning to ask, did QPR get promoted? Did QPR get promoted. <laughs> I said, You're not gonna believe it. We didn't even make the playoffs. Um, <laughs> but we're top of the league uh now. Um, and I think this time we're going to see it through. So, like, I'm, I'm pretty confident. And she's like, oh, you know, I don't really follow football, but, like, I'll be rooting for you guys. So in June, I went, in June, July, I went to my brother's best friend's wedding and she just happened to be there. And we're just talking and she goes, oh, my God, like, what happened? Did QPR, did, did they win the league? <laughs> <laughs> she said, there's no way you messed it up two years in a row. <laughs> Oh, um, I didn't have the heart to tell her. I, I made up something about us making the playoffs and losing. <laughs> the final. I just didn't have the heart to tell her. So, <laughs> oh, I don't know what next season. <laughs> those are my low points. That was that was brilliant. Um, moving on. <laughs> when we, when we look back on this year, uh, and it's obviously been so apocalypsically bad uh how important as a factor is the appointment of gareth ainsworth in all this um anyone want to take that one um seeing as i've just like shot on my favorite player the legacy i'll take it um yeah i think it's pivotal i i hate to i hate to break it you know we 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 probably ran our course with les but i think that there's some things that people whether they want to accept it or not les was on the right track with and i think in terms of developing young players trying to play progressive football at least trying to at least trying to build on what Warburton had put in place for us I think those were the right ideas the execution probably wrong from Les we can talk about that all day um but I think it's very clear that that Battier obviously decided that he 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 needed to get this monkey off his back with Ainsworth he needed to appoint it needing to give him a go um and not only has it cost Ainsworth his job, it's cost Battier his role as chairman probably as well, which I, I respect him having the balls to put his hands up and say it. Um, and also, um, it's probably cost us. I mean, if you look at this squad, if you look at the way it's been playing, I know the last few have been pretty shaky, but the general consensus around the league seems to be, well, QPR aren't great and they're soft, but they're not this bad, surely. Um and sadly, I think that just comes down to trying to play a brand of football that probably just doesn't suit QPR and probably doesn't even suit like the championship in general anymore. And it's not just well, I'm just building on that. It's not just the style of football. It's the um, it's the sort of aura around the club. It's um, I know we're trying to move on from embarrassing episodes of last year, but it's stuff like the hacker and putting that out publicly, um, yeah. which didn't need to happen. You know, it's. Yeah. Uh, and then this desire to kind of create a sort of cult of personality around Ainsworth when he was quite new in the job. They put that kind of stuff out and it backfires really badly. And it's just this, and this is not just <clears throat> um, us QPR fans talking about this. You can listen to any sort of neutral observers around the championship, people like Ali Maxwell and George Ellick, who find it 
deeply weird <laughs> that we could go from a Mick Beale, Neil Critchley to Gareth Ainsworth. And it, and it doesn't make sense to, to, to anybody, that kind of stuff. And it's, um, it, it, it's, I feel like I said, um, I, I didn't have any issues in terms of thinking he would keep us up uh, last season. I thought, okay, if they really have to get somebody who understands the club and the fans can rally around, um, I, I do get that sort of logic. It's just the um, entrusting him with the kind of future direction of the club or, or the near-term future direction of the club at the expense of, of Les. And, and yeah, Mikey, you're right. There are lots of issues around Les, which we've talked about before. Um, it just, for me, it's, that's the problem area. And I get it's hard to kind of get a manager to leave a job he's been in for a decade by only saying, well, you've got three months and then we'll kind of see how it goes after that. But yeah, bad, bad decision-making, illogical decision-making really. And um, yeah, it's cost us, cost us very badly. And you mentioned the hacker and that is such a, obviously stupid thing to do but when I, my friends still like sort of put that in front of me when we're on like nights out and like how funny is this and it'd be like the hacker and and that is out there permanently now my pe- my friends know about that my friends don't know anything apart from what i tell them about qpr the fact that they know about that hacker video is damning enough like yeah. you know they will only know about QPR if we win the league or do something so stupid as that. And yeah. we're certainly not winning the league anytime soon. No, and it, and, it, and, it, and it's clear that sort of maybe from that moment, maybe not, but a lot of players didn't buy into that either, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about players buying into culture and all this kind of stuff and, and the players getting paid by the football club. They should be buying into it and all the rest of it. But actually, if you really, truly don't believe in it and if these weren't the reasons why you came to the football club in the first place yeah you're you're not gonna you're not gonna stick around uh, mentally are you well and you've just seen that in a much shorter time period to a much more drastic level with Birmingham haven't you with the, all those players signed by Eustace that wanted to play under him got sold his vision and then you've got Wayne Rooney come in and it doesn't matter how big of a name Wayne Rooney was he's not the the man that got them to sixth in the table so you know all of a sudden that all falls apart and it was like that with us you see the amount of players that just sort of what i will go through eventually at one point the transfers out but there's a lot of big names there that were crucial parts of qpr teams before gareth ainsworth and they just you know even chris willock clearly wasn't part of his plans and that has turned out again to be a pretty bad decision the only um, caveat I'd add to any of this, and I agree pretty much wholeheartedly with with what the two of you have said, um, is that I don't think they bought into Critchley either, or, or maybe mm. they didn't have enough time to, but I don't really remember seeing anything resembling a, a style of football. And, and I know that, that Dan, who's often on this podcast and has a much better eye for the real sort of tactical stuff than I do, tried to spot patterns and said that there were patterns. I, I, I didn't see them. And so I didn't really think that they would buy into the next manager. However... It was it was still a, a failure to pump the brakes while going down the hill. You know, you, you you just because they've not bought into one manager with with a fairly strict kind of tactical style doesn't mean you appoint another with a completely random different style just because he's a bad manager. Even if, and I've said this a lot, it's a decision that I was sort of okay with at the time. Um, but I think yeah, that that wild pivot in hindsight has helped no one. And in terms of the, the personality, just 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 briefly. Um, it was interesting because my dad spotted it before I did, but Ainsworth started really painting himself into a corner because every time we won a game, it was, we can turn this around. We will turn this around. There's something special happening at this football club. I can feel it happening. You've got to believe me. And I totally bought into that the first time, maybe the second time, possibly even the third time. But when when the next game is always a, a Blackpool 6-1 defeat, you stop mm-hmm. believing in it and, and, and it all kind of, the, the allure of it falls away. So everything considered with Gareth Ainsworth and knowing everything that we know now, uh, and, and indeed including the fact that we are now managed by Marty Sifuentes, would you, if you could travel back in time and you could walk into the room that the QPR board were using to dis- 
to make the decision whether they should sack Neil Critchley or not. And you had the power to actually convince them not to, which seems plausible because I reckon anyone that walks into any room at, at boardroom level, like, you know, seems to just get a crack at <laughs> making a really important decision for QPR. But would you have sacked Neil Critchley knowing everything we know now? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. And I don't usually advocate for sacking someone that soon, but it, I just remember at the time and the actual memory of the football has faded because there wasn't much to remember. I just remember being so certain that it wasn't going to work. Yeah, well, I wonder I'm... wonder why. Um, in Critchley's record in 2023, which is a bit... There, there was like two or three games before that, including the actual game that he won. So this may be really harsh for Neil. But in 2023, Neil Critchley won zero games of QPR, drew four and lost five. And I believe in one of those games, Sam Field played right wing. He did. He did. So, we we but, were just talking off air about um, this point. We weren't sure it was going to get made, but it is. But this is Steve's point. Um, about how perhaps the standards for Ainsworth has essentially made like the bar so low for Sifuentes that maybe we're perceiving him in a way that doesn't really exist. Um, but on the same side of the coin, there's been some revisionism post Critchley just because of how bad it got under Ainsworth that like Critchley was Critchley was cooking something and you know that it was all very come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like, what what, what was it? His best game was his first game. Essentially, it got worse. From his first game onwards, essentially, it got worse and culminated in basically just like a lifeless pile of shit at Middlesbrough away where everybody knew the guy was going to get sacked, including the opposition team. And we just kind of just played it out until, you know, he could collect his P45. So, no, I, I, I think Critchley's comfortably alongside Ainsworth, one of the worst managers we've had at QPR in my in my lifetime. Yeah, it's a, and it's a shame because I, I thought at the time he was appointed that it was the right direction, you know, the, the yeah. right... The right it tracks, the right doesn't it? Like you said, Logical. Critchley to Ainsworth doesn't track, but yeah, it, Fields it, Critchley it, does. Uh, one thing I, I, I don't think people have focused on much, I know it's back in 2022, but it did take a little bit of time to get him in the door and then we had that whole thing about, well, we don't really want to appoint him before the Burnley game because we're going to get um, hammered anyway. That that kind of didn't sit well with me, you know, that we lost. I know I know the Beal timing of the departure was bad during the World Cup break, but I think we had to kind of move a bit quicker with that appointment than we did in the end. Um, that aside, I, I also think there was a, possibly a sliding doors moment with the Sheffield United game. Yeah. We, were, we were about 30 seconds away from winning that game. Yeah. And even though that would have probably been a fairly fortunate win, I think that would have kind of allayed fears about whether this guy was the right um, appointment. Uh, because the problem is the game before that at Loftus Road against Lucy yeah. was so bad that it had put everyone on a bit of a downer uh, afterwards. And I think the Sheffield United one was pretty important, actually, to get a win there might have changed things. Fleetwood was obviously pretty bad but he wasn't wrong about what he said um yeah i think fleetwood which is apt because it's fa cup third round well it starts tonight as as the recording's happening um but that sort of like digging out of the players it was a real departure i think we mentioned it quite a few times but that very early on he went to that that sort of kind of hell mary pass of like he's going to publicly criticize these players and quite rightly so to be honest because that by the sounds of it that fleet the performance was abysmal uh and we've had many th abysmal performances since then and you know it just it never that never seemed to work coddling the players in public calling them out in public nothing works like that it didn't even worked did it i have i have a take on this to be fair which is that one thing that i think is overlooked um so going back to Steve's point where I essentially said the appointment should have been done quicker, there, there's now a whole other set of revisionism of, oh, we wanted Sifuentes then, but we couldn't afford the compensation fee. Yada, yada, yada. Whatever the story is, the story is. Critchley was appointed after the Burnley game, right? Um, what you have is you have a manager who's like not shy about the fact that he's very good friends with the previous manager. Mm. Nobody's ever really of the players come out and spoke 
beyond saying, oh, we were upset when Beal left. Uh, nobody's really spoken about it as such. Um, if I remember correctly as well, Bill had said similar things about maybe the players were soft and that they, they kind of, they bruise easily, I think was something that he said. I can't remember the exact words. What you've got now is you've got the manager who's just betrayed you or however you want to put it. His best mates come into the job. All right, natural fit, similar style of play, similar coaching style. All right, fine. I had no problem with the club doing that. It, it made sense on paper. Um, but to be so few games in, to not really know the players and like the previous manager had said, oh, I've spoken to people in the league and I know what they think of QPR. He's obviously was talking about Neil Critchley because Neil Critchley was Blackpool manager last season. That's his best mate or whatever. Clearly, he's he's formed that opinion from Neil Critchley. So the players kind of already know, right, that Critchley thinks that they're a bit soft, that Critchley thinks that they bruise easily, that Critchley probably thinks a lot of the things that the previous manager came in had thought. Now, to, to air that publicly after, I think it's four or five games, I can't remember what it was, but right or wrong, four. You're you're right, four. Four About three in the new, two or three, maybe in the in twenty twenty two, and then it would have been two game. Like you know, now we'd have had Chris New Year's Day and then FA Cup. Well, yeah, in, in normal situations, giving your team a bit of a kick up the ass in January after the Christmas period when things slowed down. In normal situations, that's the time to do it, to call out your players. You know, that's when Pep has done it in the past, as when Klopp's done it in the past, Ferguson. That's the natural time because there's still so much time left that if there is a bad reaction, there's enough time to turn it into something good, whatever. You can make something of your season. Critchy was four games in, probably didn't really know the players too well uh, and has essentially said something that the fan base has felt for a while it's quite easy for the players to turn that into a, oh, everybody's against us. This manager's against us. Everybody thinks this, thinks that. Now, I don't think that excuses the players because, I, like I said, I agree with what Critchley said and I still agree with it to this day. And I think Marty said something similar a couple of weeks back after um, whichever game it was we lost. There's too many for me to remember at this point. But I, I'm not necessarily sure that that was good man management from Critchley. I, I personally, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree. And I, and I don't often like talking about managers' sort of personality in terms of what they might be like behind the scenes because we don't know. We're not behind the scenes. We don't see that. We'll, we'll find out in in 30 years when a sort of squad player from this team writes a book or whatever. But um, when the they public facing podcast, person, hint, hint. Anyone yeah, when you know. get Luke Amos on in 20 years, that will be genuinely, he's seen. He's seen a, a he's, fair seen, he's seen it all. Yeah. He's seen it all from yeah. the treatment room, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, him, oh, him and Clark sort of can co-write it. <laughs> I like Luke Amos. Leave him alone. Um, every page would just be, and then I heard about this, but I wasn't actually there <laughs> for it because I was injured. <laughs> Let's don't be mean. Don't be mean about Luke Amos. Don't be mean Sorry. about Dominic Ball. I won't have it. It's not. It just just don't go there. Anyway. Um, no, I won't talk about pers- what his personality might have been like with the players, but the public-facing side of it, it was just uninspiring. And 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 Ainsworth got longer shrift, if you can have long shrift as well as short shrift, I don't know. But he, he had more license to do what he wanted, partly because he was a, a club legend, Ainsworth, but also because he did try and do that sort of rousing thing. And if the football was even... 30% better and the results 20% better he might have gotten away with doing that and it I don't know but but quickly from minute one I, I used to work at a Saturday job in a, a sort of local bakery it was like a posh Greg's and we had one manager that when there was nothing to do she'd get me to reorganize the crisps and I just sat there thinking crisps don't need reorganizing and he spoke about being a football manager in the way that I spoke about reorganizing the crisps and it just like you just don't want that. You want a manager who, who I'm not saying whether or not he gave a shit because it's not my place to say I'm not him. I'm not inside his head. But he didn't come across like he did, and that's that's fatal, I think. Yeah, just 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 quickly building on that because you're you're talking about something that I thought about a lot about in that. And there's a lot of hindsight that goes into this, but given the situation with Bill's departure and it caught the club a bit offside, it caught the players a bit offside. I think at that point, you need to be appointing somebody who has a bit of a force of personality. Um, He's not everyone's cup of tea. I advocate for him a lot. He's not everyone's cup of tea. But someone like 
a Chris Wilder type person who can oh, come right. in. I, th- I thought you were going to say Jones. Say Jones. Oh yeah, my god! god. Okay, okay. There's going to be Nathan I, Jones. I no, no, I, I, I've never kind of got the the hype behind bringing him in. To be fair, but it's um the multiple times we've been looking for new managers over the last twelve months, I've never kind of got on the the Jones bandwagon. But but something like a Chris Wilder, where it's you can galvanise that that kind of group of players. Um, and you're absolutely right, Ben. The problem with Critchley is it made sense on paper, um, but it didn't make sense in practice. And uh, it, was, it was a shame. It was a shame. Um, yeah. He had to go. I concur with on that. Here's a question for you then. What would have been worse, Ainsworth or Jones, as an appointment? I mean, Ainsworth, you get the bad football. And in theory, QPR fans like him. Jones, you might get better football, but he hates QPR and we hate him. He hates everyone, though, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. And and, yeah. and also and also we hate QPR and they hate us. So. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> they also definitely very hate us. Yeah, <laughs> There's no love lost there. Um, I don't know. I, I'll say this about I'll say this about Nathan Jones, which is that he is a good manager. Um, I'll say it because Dan's not odd, but he is a he is a good manager, and even in my young years, I distinctly remember being like staunchly against Warnock coming to QPR. So. He, I think he's in that genre of managers that you love him until he's your manager. Unless, of course, you support Stoke City or Southampton or apparently anyone that's not Luton Town. But well, that's it. But that, but that's the point, isn't it? He, it's a bit like Ainsworth at Wickham. He, he's done it at one club and he's done it very, very successfully. But he's not shown, uh, he's not been able to apply that at other in other environments. Um, and that, that's actually what kind of worried me a lot about Ainsworth. You know, whereas a lot of people would say look at his record at Wickham, look at what he's done against the odds, no money to spend and look how much they're punching. That's all great, but it's in an environment he's got 100% control of. And it's an environment where, without being disrespectful to Wickham, there are lower expectations than there are at a championship club in uh, QPR. And, um, And that kind of always, it's the whole thing of, if he's this good, why hasn't anyone else come in for him? That is, I think that was a factor in kind of how I kind of appraised that that appointment. Um, others might disagree. I don't know, but but certainly something in my mind. Let's um, let's keep it topical as well. Then, seeing as it's January, let's talk about some transfers uh, and the transfers in and out in the year twenty twenty three. So, coming in, we had uh, Begovic, Fox, Colback, Smith, Larkesh, Cook, Richards. Cannon, Lowe, and Martin. Uh, transfers out. Dieng, Dickey, Hammerlinen, Masterson, Owens, Johansson, Amos, Chris Martin, again. Uh, Shadipo and Leon Balligan. So, mm-hmm. out of those two, the, the transfers in, transfers out, kind of two sets of players um what what set of transfers there sort of tells a more damaging story for just QPR? so quickly ask i didn't didn't hear faisal patach's name on the uh, transfers out unless i'm mistaken uh, i'm very dangerous sorry, ben, it wasn't actually included in the transfer market transfers out so maybe he's still at the club somewhere i think he was 2022 unfortunately yeah was he yeah, we missed him as part. I'm seeing that as February 2023, but that might be that my app genuinely didn't realise he had left um, for the majority of the denial. season. You were updating it yourself, were you? Yeah, waiting. He can't have gone. He can't have gone. He may be scoring goals in the MLS reserve division, but there's no way. Um, but yeah, um, anyway, I, so I don't have an answer to your actual question. Just, so yeah, I mean, it, th- there's some stinkers in there. For their own reasons. I mean, uh, are we talk about the outs or the ins first. Well, let's talk about the ins first. Um, okay. I, I actually think, I, I, I think generally, bar one, they've all contributed at some point in lesser forms than others. Um, Who's the one that has it? Richards. <laughs> Fair enough. The the man is an enigma. Is he real? I don't know. But was he just brought in to confuse me? Yes. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I don't. I think Smith. I'm happy with him. Larkesh looks 
promising. Cook is just unfortunately at that age. I think uh, Clive Whittenham has some interesting things to say about Begovic, Colback, and Cook. And in the, the the length of contracts we are offering them is mainly yeah, why there's... they are here. So that's not necessarily yeah. good well, financial well, sense. But length of contract. To, sorry to interrupt. Length of contracts is one thing, and and I've not seen quite enough from Colback to justify the length of the contract. Maybe signing him, I don't know. Cook, we look unbelievably better say, with him yeah. in the team. Yeah, like like a different team. Cook's only thirty two as well. Like thirty four championship centre back isn't like super old. No, and also it's probably not the best game after which to talk about it. But I, I think Begovic has been pretty decent as well. I mean, and, uh, of course he's made clangers. And of yeah, course, been the sponsored, yes, apart from the sponsored tweets for goalkeeper gloves and whatever, um, but it's but he, he's actually been pretty good. And there were two really good saves against Cardiff um, yeah. before the clangor. Mm-hmm. And yes, his kicking is suspect. Yes, he's probably not. Well, he's obviously not been brought in to play this kind of style that Fuentes plays. But he's not the problem. Um, okay. Say Steve Cook is is a valuable player for us, and Jack Colback, if he's fit. Yeah, he can be a valuable player for us too in the running, no doubt about it. There's other ones as well, like Reggie Cannon is an interesting signing to make. Obviously, he was on a free. Um, what do we think of Cannon? Is Cannon like the Sifuentes effect again? Like, is he just well, that much? Is he just better than Kakai? So we all think he's well, better than he is. Yes, like... that, that, yeah, there is definitely that. Yeah. But, but, you know, he is a improvement on him, but he is also. I guess they have a, a limited roster of professional men's players, but he is an international with quite a few caps behind him. Yeah, so, but so it, is Kakai. Yeah, but Kakai, th- there's, though, there's yeah. still, even still though, there's literally levels. And then like, the USA managed to get to the World Cup. <laughs> I, I don't I mean, know. Yeah. He is he is look, better. Look, I, He's ob- I, I, but obviously, you know, for the, the same reason that other players like Clark Salter are here, you know, he gets injuries. He's not that, he's not actually that brilliant. That's why he's with QPR, but he is an improvement. Uh, yeah, look, I think he's good. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think people are going a bit overboard just because he's better than Kakai. Um, I think the, the actually, Stoke game as well didn't help. Yeah, the, at the times massive impact pretty, he had. At times, he's been pretty suspect in possession. At times, he's been pretty suspect out of possession. I do think it's, it's an upgrade, obviously. But I think, I don't know. It, it's hard to say, really, because he hasn't really been able to get himself a run of games because of his injuries. But um, I, I'm, I like I like the idea of him. I just suppose I'm not ready to call him a success yet. Do you know what I mean? Um, here's one that definitely is a success. Chris Martin. Wouldn't I be in the league it, without him. Did, did I not say it at the end of last season? We should have signed him. We should have signed him on a free. He'll score more goals than Dykes. Said it. No, nobody, nobody, no. Nah, do you know how many goals he like, scored oh, for the Bristol Rovers? I, I, don't, I don't actually, but do, do we know what he scored for the Bristol Rovers this season? Just uh, probably nothing, as he, well, he definitely <laughs> scored one. He, he definitely scored one, but I'll, I'll bring it up in a bit. It's, um, to be fair, with to Chris Martin, that was that was a no, there was no loss, there's no downside to signing him. Um, yeah. it's uh, given how light we are up front. I don't quite know why we didn't, in all honesty, but um, uh, but there we go. I, I don't know. I'm just going to try and find. I, out. I do wonder. I do wonder if he saw. If this is pure speculation, but I I can't imagine we offered him more than one year, realistically. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if he saw the Colback deal, the Cook deal, the Begovic deal, and thought, "Well, I want another year as well. Why am I not good enough for another year? I kept you in the league." Um, that is some speculation. That is pure spec. Like he probably just didn't <laughs> even get. But, he probably wasn't even aware they were coming in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, like Steve Cook to keep you Like okay, uh, he scored eight goals this season so far. Okay, okay, fair enough. We should have signed <laughs> him. This is what it says on Wikipedia. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by it myself, but it's um. Uh, you know what's happened? Mike has gone in there and added that in the last couple of minutes to prove his point. <laughs> <laughs> He's added to his page. Um, what about the forgotten man then? I guess in all this, he came on in a loan last season, Jamal Lowe. A, a signing that was so, like, it's a, one of these signs that I felt could have been made at any point throughout QPR's time in the championship. Like, it, it seemed like a very QPR sort of thing to do, sort of, especially that 
um, sort of like Harry Redknapp era, sign a player well, like him. I, I he, he was very good, or he was influential in his first game. I feel like in Reading. a parallel universe, that's a really good. I don't think yeah. he's the type of player suited to the type of relegation battle we were in. No, I think no. I think initially everybody forgets this. This is another sliding doors moment for the pod. But initially, he was supposed to come in on deadline day in 2022 under Mick Beale. But I don't I know remember. if anyone, yeah, I don't know if anyone remembers this. But our good friend Macaulay Bond at the last minute said he didn't want to, he didn't right, yeah. want to take the uh, the pay cut, I believe, to go back to Charlton or something, and then ended up going back to Charlton. What a twat! I hate him so much. But anyway, <laughs> I really don't like him. Like, That's I one player like we're him. not getting on the podcast anytime soon. I do not like it. The whole situation was he did all of that to go back to Ipswich and then Ipswich were like we actually don't want you anyway like what what loser but anyway I digress like I feel like had Jamal Jamal Lowe had come in under Mick Beal at the start I feel like the perception of him would be so different because he was Mm. that pace striker that we were complaining we didn't have up front he was that hybrid kind of can play as a winger can play as a striker can play as a 10 second striker role I think perceptions of him are different because of where we were and because of the type of player he is. It becomes, oh, you know, he didn't really contribute. He didn't really seem like he cared too much. So I, I, I have sympathy for Jamal. I, I don't. Again, I, I didn't ever. I probably said some things I regret, but I don't remember it being massively a, a lack of application from him. I just my memory of Jamal Lowe, and it may be clouded by what an awful, awful season it was. Was him doing things that you'd expect him to do when he's right next to two other players, but there's no one near him or him trying to do a bit of a skill when a bit of a skill isn't what's needed. And just the puzzle piece just not fitting in to the team. And him being offside. He was like permanently offside. Yeah. Uh, well, thing, just, I, it, I do remember about it, his his debut against Reading and he came on and I think we were all, everyone in the ground that day was kind of like, oh, we've got a good player here. But then eventually over time, he had a good run, I think, of either assisting or scoring in maybe that three or four games. And that felt significant at the time, but kind of a bit like what's happened with how eventually QPR just gets to you. And like the, the level of coaching or whatever is just that little bit lower and it isn't, it, you're not quite improving. You're staying at the same level or getting worse. And all of a sudden your brain is turned, your footballing brain is turned to scrambled eggs and you can't actually do anything. <laughs> I, I, I think it's part of this thing again, isn't it? We've touched on it before about, the transition between Critchley and Ainsworth and a club which kind of appears to be spiralling a bit. And you've got a player on loan who's come in who knows they're not going to be here um, the following season, or it's very unlikely anyway. And I think there's just a basically a giving up mentality there. It's mm. um, I, I think that's probably true of other players who were at the club last season, um, some of whom are still here now, uh, probably unexpectedly still here. And and I think this is part of the falling through the cracks of the the club, not really um, uh, well being very well run to be quite honest, um, and making these kind of illogical decisions in terms of managers and all this kind of stuff. And I think again, this this sounds a lot like excusing players because I'm really not that type of person. I will not uh, usually make excuses for players like this, but but. I do think there are things about QPR over the last 12 months in particular where you have to ask yourself, have we produced the best environment for people to be their best selves? Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure we have, to be honest. Yeah. And speaking of the club not being run very well, let's just touch on the transfers out. Obviously, you've got Dieng and Dickey being sold at the start of this season for money. Uh, and that leaves us with actually a profit in the transfer window this season of just over two million pounds uh so every penny counts um obviously nico finally left after to be fair to him he milking that four-year contract and rightly so when you get offered no that sort of no it's shocking really isn't it micah uh <laughs> speaking of charlie owens where was his testimonial <laughs> um shadipo as well there's some you know that the, Names there that date back to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Um, so that's how long some of those players have been here. Uh, and, and he wasn't very good either. But there's, just, on you know... note, just on a side note, I'm gutted that Shadipo left just because we didn't get to see Marty Sifuentes be like the eighth manager in the row to try him for two games. 
and then realize he's not any good <laughs> then we never the, see him so i, I will remember it to the day i die the, there was a qpr fan that i once knew who said when he first when bright aside samuel first signed that shadipo was a better player than bright they were just no, yeah but i mean I, I that's just i don't know why that's reminded me but um when kelman signed for us and people were sort of trying to watch clips of him playing for south end people would i one or two people having this conversation on twitter obviously no one of any relevance going no 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 he's the he's the new wayne rooney i'm not even joking nah, he's so I young know, he's so young and he's doing this he's the new wayne rooney I know someone who was. I know someone who did say that, who may or may not be of note. Oh, God. Former member of this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Won't say his name, but he was but a big fan. The thing is, Kelman... <laughs> oh, God. Kelman was doing... Was was a, like, a pretty decent striker at that level in a team that was absolutely cataclysmic South End at that time. They, they had a really bad financial situation, so they would have clung to any good thing that came their way. And he's... Well, jury's out basically but let's move on we were talking about the club not being run well and here's possibly two names that prove that uh leon balligan and stefan johansson now i think in our own tight moments i think we all quite liked johansson but then in the end you know it does end up turning into a bit of a waste of time with him which is disappointing and then you have leon balligan who the club you know <laughs> dropped it felt like they dropped everything for let's take him out on holiday to austria he's is he going to train with us maybe is he going to be involved in anything maybe is he going to play the games probably not no he's off to glasgow rangers oh who would have saw that one come in just and just about everyone and no in particular steve you predicted it <laughs> one of the i remember you saying like we're never going to see him again but he, but he did. He did play though. <laughs> he did play a couple of times yeah. with great distinction. Even having a conversation <laughs> with the fans afterwards, and um, I mean, look, all of that kind of stuff just speaks to things I've all, I've spoken with you guys before on this pod about about disjointed recruitment. Uh, you know, the, St- the Stephanie Hansen one. Oh God, I'm not going to criticise the club hugely for that. I would have been for it at the time. Maybe that wasn't logical, but it felt right. Balogun was just pure. Let's indulge the manager with what he wants. So, um, so yeah, uh, great work, guys. Um, I just want to touch upon really quickly what you said about the players, the the, the transfer fees that we recruit cooped. Um, again, this is part of the problem with the overall running of the club, and is going to kind of have a big impact on um, the next few months and possibly the next few years, which is not monetizing players well enough you know Seni Dieng to be fair two million quid I know people were pretty unhappy with that at the time but actually fairly average goalkeeper really by championship standards and I think that's been proven since he went to Middlesbrough I think we did pretty well in pretty well in um, picking up a guy who was you know having trials with Rochdale and AFC filed and he took his opportunity when it came about and we did well with that to get two million quid for him the Rob Dickey one is a real tragedy because yeah. that guy was clearly worth possibly three, maybe at one point even four times more than that, and that's a that's a massive massive shame to lose um, the value on that on that asset um, in the way that we did, and and by all accounts he's doing pretty well at Bristol City. Well, who who knew Rob Dickey is actually a very good defender? Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a real shame that when we have made. Um, when we have sold players, it's not really been for the value that it should have been. Just a, a sort of quick point as well on, uh, on on Balogun. Two points, actually. One is that behind the scenes on this podcast, I've been trying to create a list of the sort of most horrendous things that have happened to QPR in the past five or so years that if you weren't a fan of this football club, you think are hilarious. And as a fan, you just find deeply upsetting. I forgot to include in that list the transcript of the Balogun meeting with the fans at the training <laughs> ground. <laughs> Yes. Um, just horrendous. And look it up if you haven't seen it. Just a, a player who doesn't seem to know what he's on about, what he's getting himself into. Some of the most brainless thoughts coming out of the fan. Just a just a horrible... Anyway. That... I remember when that came out, like, well, first the news sort of came out that this that was happening in the first place. And I just remember thinking, no, this is not a good thing. And yeah. then reading it, I, I think I got about 
less than a quarter way through and I thought I can't read any more of this this is too bad and then went back to it like a day later tried to read it again and then again didn't get any further I was like this is awful I can't like it yeah. just was absolutely it was so embarrassing just yet again like it, 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 if, and and and, and... to any manager out there who's possibly listening to this podcast if if one of your players comes up to you and says I've invited some fans to the training ground to have you know a one-to-one -one with me you turn around and say no you fucking haven't tell them to go away <laughs> they're two, not two problems <laughs> two problems with this football club in the year 2023 or the past few years um apathy and putting things out there that shouldn't be put out there the club yeah. have just passively allowed this to happen yeah. they've passively allowed i'm pretty sure those fans had full permission to to post that transcript yeah passively allowed for that to happen and like with the hacker like with critchley's comments about his squad allowed something to be aired that just did not need to be aired um and then my other point around balogun and i didn't really have that many thoughts on it at the time but reflecting on the fact that he trained with us at the start of the season i don't know whether or not the other players like leon balogun as i've said many a time on this episode of the podcast i'm not in the dressing room i don't know if they like leon balogun they've seen him train with him train with them at the start of the season probably with sort of toying with the idea of a contract and then leave. They're either going to be annoyed at him for that, for leaving, or annoyed at the club for not trying harder to keep him, or annoyed, whatever. If the players don't like Leon Balogun, presumably they'll be thinking, why the hell is this guy sticking around? Why have the club kept him around? What's going on here? Why is he on tour with us? That's a lose-lose situation. That's I, I, Again, I'm not a football person in terms of I'm not in the industry. I don't know. Yeah, That's how I've got I to look at it. Just, just, I, I don't want to talk on Balogun too much because I, I made, I come out on the pod last year and said that I was 99% sure he'd sign for us. Um, and he didn't. But um, <laughs> I will say that everyone we did interview last year, not that there was many, they did seem to say yes, that they liked him. Balogun was the leader and that they Led liked him. in particular. Led, Led loved him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make of the make of that we were, I suppose. But, um, you know, in that trans in that famous transcript that we spoke about, um, he explicitly says the words, I'm playing for another contract here, and that he liked working under Ainsworth. Again, could have been lip service, could have been just saying it because his options looked pretty thin at that point, whatever. So, you know, I, I wasn't even too mad that I thought we were going to sign him because obviously Ainsworth spoke so much about leaders and whatnot. Obviously, the then coming on tour and like then going to Rangers to be with Mick, Mick Bill of all things, obviously, like, yeah, after that point, you, you can't really defend it, can you? Um, but I, I will say, I, I, I think there was logic. There, there was logic there behind the logic just... was that we can't, we don't have any other money, any other idea apart from like Josh Knight of who we might well, want to more, or be able to something... sign. And he, he's already me. in the building. We know who he is. Can yeah. We, should we just get him? But then, you more, know what? I'm, I'm they didn't thinking, do that for Chris Martin, did they? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was more thinking, like, in terms of the season before when he come in with Beal, especially because, like, yeah. no disrespect to Rob Dickey. Like, and he's doing well at Bristol City. We'll see how long that goes on for. But he's doing well at Bristol City, right? But, like, we all know, like, he's a bit of a soft touch. Like, when we concede, his head was down the lowest. He was the one that looked like he was having the toughest time. Yeah, but I think I there's mean, so many like he... layers to that, though, isn't there? Because yeah, but he, I, I, he I... was basically, he didn't get much of a chance first up under Beal. Beal obviously took one look at him and just went, mm, no. Yeah. But he was yeah. Warburton's golden boy, like, a season but before. We, but did we not say, we all said this in 2021, we lack a real general at the back to really tell Dickie, yeah. to really tell Dunn, even Barbie. Dickie's never really had that in his career. Like he kind of needed someone of that ill. Ironically, the guy that's playing there now, Steve Cook, was probably, you know, the oh, don't the even the the, the, the Steve Cook. If he came to us instead of Forest, like it, it, I know, talk about I know. sliding Sli doors, sliding God. doors exactly. And and, I, and I've said many a time this season that the centre back playing next to Steve Cook effectively becomes as as good as Steve Cook. Morgan Fox looked like not very much without Steve Cook. He looked decent with him and then not very much without him again. The games where we've had Cook, I'm not saying you can put anyone next to him, but he, he drags players up to his level. Um, mm. and, and the thought of what that could have been with, with, with Dickie, yeah. Oh. I think we have said more than enough about QPR in 2023. 
and we can only hope that it gets better. Maybe we are looking at Marty through the prism of Gareth Ainsworth and it's maybe looking that little bit rosier for it. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. It Holy will Woodrow be... on loan? Oh, you know, you know what? I wouldn't say no. Um, <laughs> that's it, isn't it? Are we going to make any signings? Are we actually going to make it through to the fourth round of the cup? Eh, does that really matter? We just like to win more games. And at if there's ever a noise year. that sums up QPR in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, all three of you, Micah, Steve, Ben. You've been brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on and discussing this awful topic with me once more. Uh, this has been our generation on air, and until next time, come on, you guys.